Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast, brought to you by Rocket Agency. I'm your host, James Lawrence. Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast. I am here today with Sharon Smith. Sharon, welcome to the pod. Hello. It's good to have you here. So Sharon is the founder and CEO of Social Soup, Australia's largest influencer marketing company, working with brands like Audi, Lego, L'Oreal, Philips, Huggies, Wheatbix, and many more. She's also co-founder and executive director of the Influence Group and also chair of AIMCO, which is the Australian Influencer Marketing Council. So when, when I thought influencer marketing, Sharon, I thought I thought of you to get you onto the pod to discuss kind of where, where we're at in 2023. So welcome, Sharon, and I'm really looking forward to today's discussion. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Good, good, good. I thought just start from the absolute top. What is influencer marketing? Good question. Start from the beginning. Well, if we take it back a step, what is influence? And influence is about having the ability to impact someone in terms of their behavior or um, their attitude. So it's some sort of impact. And really influencer marketing sort of has evolved over time. Um, When I first got into the industry, it was called word of mouth marketing. And it was really about engaging people in real life to to try products and see them to market. We had the evolution of the industry over time in terms of when social platforms come into play and we saw more the visibility of connections. We had a brief phase where the industry was called viral marketing, (laughs) uh, where everyone wanted their brand to go viral. And then as this kind of creator economy, creator ecosystem has exploded, probably more so with, I'd say, Instagram. And now we've, we've got the juggernaut of TikTok. So we've had this amazing sort of economy of people that are creating content and being able to create these sort of niche up to massive audiences. And yep. so really influencer marketing is about finding people who can influence your audience and involving them in your marketing activities. A good, really good summary. Does it now like is it synonymous with Instagram, TikTok, or is still some of those tactics that might have worked pre kind of social media are they still in effect? Like, are there other channels or areas where influencer marketing is playing? Because I think if you ask the average marketer, like, what is what is influencer marketing? I think most would say it's Instagram, it's TikTok. Like, is it broader than that still? Yeah, and I think it's also probably suffers from a bit of a stigma where people have this kind of stereotyped view of what an influencer is. Yeah. And, and I think everyone's an influencer. Large, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think by and large, you know, because we've got big influencers like Kim Kardashian and you've got mainstream media really liking, to, you know, likes to sort of report on some, some sensationalized stories. So I think sometimes we have this kind of stereotypical view of what an influencer is. Um, But I think to your point, um, really everyone has influence. Mm. And I think where we are today and and what we sort of focus on, certainly in my business, um, Social Soup and the influence group, is getting people to think beyond the influencer and think about influence. And that, as you said, that could be anyone. So it could be your customer. It could be a review that someone reads. It could be uh, someone that, that someone's following on TikTok that they don't know. So there's all these types of influencers and there's all these types of 
um, moments that influence people. Yeah. So I, I do think we are moving beyond just that sort of very simple view of influencer marketing yeah. to really think that there's this holistic ecosystem of influencers around us. How do you... Um... Because I think that's right. I think it's it's almost it's kind of tactical, isn't it? It's if you think of influencer marketing and it's how do we, you know, get our product into the hands of some influencers on Instagram and get them to say something nice. How do you kind of elevate the conversation when you're going in to speak to a prospective client or a client to kind of say, hey, whoa, whoa, let's take a step back and look at influence more broadly within your business? Yeah, I think one of the first things we sort of look at is trying yeah i think we sometimes get blinded by oh we really love those influencers we want those people to be holding our brand but yeah. if we take a step back you know the foundations or fundamentals of marketing which is who are we trying to influence right yeah. and if we can then really understand what influences them and and what are those sorts of journeys that you know all the many myriads of journeys that people can now go on to buy products which could be a, a very short to a very long journey depending on our category or, or product life cycle and and really being able to sort of take stock of the different moments that people might have in that journey yeah and I, once we do that and, and we actually have a tool that we use that we've just actually launched last week called an influence audit which is exactly something we've put in place to help have that conversation, which is really taking a big segment uh, of the population. So we might say a sample of a thousand people who have recently bought that brand or bought in that category and actually taking them on a very detailed journey of how they got there, which really helps us map influences on that. Because if, if you think about, right, the tool that we use at the moment, which is a very blunt instrument, and we'll have, we have it on the end of our you know, websites or things like that. Like, how did you come to buy this product? It yeah. might be of mouth, might be advertising, but it's never one of those things, is it? It's, yeah. it's many things. And, and a tool like that can never capture how somebody really came to be your customer. Yeah, correct. And we'll often find that at Rocket where, you know, as with so many businesses, word of mouth is... It's the best form yeah. of marketing, right? But we obviously do a lot of other marketing with you know, the podcast and we could try to you know, practice what we preach and do Google or whatever else. And often it is that it's multi-touch, right? It's, it's with yeah. B2B. It's not the most complex B2B purchase, but it's still, it's still a spaghetti bowl, right? In terms of people that might've worked with yeah. you previously or someone's partner worked with you and they might've also found you through right. Google or awards or it's- um, and, I, and I think often that marketers have- kind of ignored that or put it to the side because they're like, well, that's just, we can't do anything about that other than have a great product. So let's look at all the things that we can pay for. But if you actually do really investigate or, or you know, really try and understand, like there, there's many different triggers and types of word of mouth and motivations and sources. So, you know, you're ignoring over half of the influence out there. Mm. So I think really understanding how, true advocacy and word of mouth happens is is really important yeah like where do you come in like because business might have you know a digital budget and within that looking at google ads and their seo and whatever else social paid social they'll be doing organic and they might have a um program around email marketing and then they'll have above the line like do you get like do you specifically get brought in as that channel that is word of mouth slash referral or is it you're coming in more strategically above that and then kind of how influence works across all of a, of a, of a business's channels? Yeah, it, I mean, it really varies, obviously, depending on the client and, and the way that they work. 
Um, certainly it works best when it is integrated. It is part of the, the, the strategy, the plan. Um, and this is really understanding how you drive participation with your brand. And really we're, we're sort of at that, what we call the social, when we're activating, we're at so, the social influence strategy. Yeah. So really understanding how that, you know, if you think about creators and activating influencers um, through that, all touch points, all, all content types that they might generate are very important. So we might be working with everyday people and, and the goal might be generating and populating reviews, right? Yeah. Because we know how important reviews are, but often they're difficult to get. They're certainly difficult to get consistently. So if there's an authentic way that we can be giving people experiences with products and generating reviews, well, that's can be really important. Yeah. Uh, likewise, with any sort of influence or content creation campaigns, what we do with the content is as important as actually what we do in the campaign with the influencers. So there's only so much organic reach that we're getting these days, but actually what are we doing with that content in paid? What are we doing with that in sort of owned channels? So really it should be incredibly integrated into everything that the brand's doing. Make, Otherwise make, you're missing the benefits. It makes sense. Like are there certain segments, certain industry types where you, what you do works better? Is it more B2C skewed, B2B? Does it work? Like what are the different challenges there? Um, are we talking, you know, more FMCG? Like are there kind of areas yeah. where it does lend itself more to? I think it really lends itself to every area, um, but definitely there's easier categories to activate than yeah. others. Um, if you think B2B, it, it's not that sort of easy, accessible ecosystem of influencers out there. So it is harder, but certainly very achievable to understand social influence, but there's different sort of buying processes there, I'd say. Um, so definitely the influencer industry focuses a lot more on B2C. Yeah. And again, because you have access to the platforms, we have a lot of visibility on data and performance. So you, you've kind of got that as a sort of a, how you can align your measurement frameworks around that. So yeah. that obviously if you can measure it, then it makes it easier to do. Yeah. Um, prove that you can get the budgets for it. But but we got we work across every category. There probably isn't a B2C category that that we haven't worked in. I'd say there's more investment going into certainly into FMCG, beauty. We we do a lot of work within pets, any yep. sort of pet products, finance. Um, and again, there's a lot of regulations coming into play with finance as well so finfluencers so again you've got to be up to date with everything that you're doing in that space a lot of health products but again you've got to know <laughs> what you're doing because the therapeutic good act has now come into play and there's very specific requirements how influencers can act within those highly regulated industries you say that that segues beautifully into my next question i wanted to get you to talk just about regulatory changes that have kind of come in recently that will impact things moving forward and maybe just, yeah, taking a pretty elevated view of that, just in terms of, mm -hmm. I presume that uh, listeners to the pod, some will be aware of them, some won't. So maybe just the, what the changes yeah. are, what they're intended to do, um, and I guess the do's and the don'ts. Sure. Well, I think in the last 12 months, influencer marketing got the attention of pretty much every regulator. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a busy period. It's been, there's been a lot of heat on the industry, but I think that's, that's a good thing. 
like everything, when something's, we, you know, we're sort of, I'd say as an industry, we've just gone through our difficult teenage years where, you know, not everyone's followed by the rules, they've pushed back, where there hasn't been a lot of consistency. So I think having regulation in place really builds trust in the industry and also, you know, allows, it sort of weeds out the bad actors yeah. out there. So in terms of the different types of regulation, probably the biggest one that's had the biggest impact on the industry, I'd say, is around um, disclosure, you know, being correctly classifying commercial content. And there was a lot of gray areas in that. And there was a lot of sort of, do I have to disclose if I'm just gifted it? Do I have to disclose if I'm going to an event? Like, you know, how do we kind of really look at all the different edge cases around that. So ad standards have been um, looking at that part of the the AANA, the Australian Association of National Advertisers. So that's yeah. a self-regulatory um, framework. And so when consumers are complaining about an ad, you know, that, that TV ad offended me, they can also complain about anything in social media as well. So Ad standards, which is kind of like the clearing body of all of those complaints, handles those, and they they have had hundreds in the last um, couple of years to to be sort of adjudicating and, yeah. and court. And I was just going to say that on top of that, the ACCC is now uh, they've just announced sort of last year that they're going to be having a big digital platforms review, and as part of that digital platforms review, they are investigating influencer marketing. So there is a report in the next week on that. So ACCC, obviously, they uh, handle consumer law, right? So consumer law is about where advertising can't be seen as misleading. Mm. So that's where undisclosed or non-disclosed commercial content falls into misleading. Um, so ACCC, obviously, coming into play is where fines can be um, handed out to brands and to influencers, if they are seen to be engaging in misleading conduct. So I, I think we will see some fines and that's where we will see some, um, you know, everybody being whipped into shape, I think, and really wanting to know exactly what all the regulations are. So in terms of super simple, and I know that any, like a lot of things at the edges are kind of gray and unresolved, but fundamentally, if I'm a in-house marketing manager and I'm, you know, running influencer programs, yeah. if I'm paying for that piece of promotion, then it should have the fact, it should be disclosed that it is a paid promotion. Would you, would you yeah. agree with that? Well, or? I, I think it comes down to what is paying for something. Yeah. So anything that has a value is payment. So if I'm just giving that product to an influencer, that's still payment. Yeah. Um, if I am inviting them to an event, that is still payment. So we have an arrangement. Even if I'm not telling them what to post and I'm just giving them a product, right? You still have, a, you know, a, a, some sort of contract with them because you, you've been in contact with them, you've sent them a product. So all of those things should be considered the same. Yeah. You are paying them. You have a you have some sort of commercial agreement with them, and what you need to do is um, have that correctly disclosed. So the way to do that, of course first and foremost, is to use the paid partnership or the sponsorship tags, which are in all the platforms now. Yep. So that's where you see at the top of, you know, Instagram posts where it's like, you know, paid partnership with specific brand. And actually the platforms themselves require that. So if influencers aren't using that, then they can actually be in breach of the platform and the platforms can take them down. Yeah. 
Um, so they're designed to be correctly disclosed and very visible. So first and foremost, that should be used. Um, then we also encourage hashtag ad. So this is where probably a couple of years ago, things like hashtag SP crept in where people are like, oh, if we say SP, that means people know that that means sponsored, doesn't it? Um, so no, they don't. <laughs> so really, again, it, making it clear, it's hashtag, you know, paid partnership, hashtag ad. Um, and also, you know, best practice is to have that above the, the fold. So people don't have to scroll to the end of a, you know, whole page of hashtags to see it. Do you have any information or I guess opinion on does having to disclose the partnership as a paid one, do you think that erodes the credibility of the post or do you think it boosts the credibility? Like any kind of anecdotal feedback on that? Look, there's a lot of discussion around this um, in terms of does it affect the performance of the post. Um, some early, probably uh, about a year ago, I saw some analysis on content that had hashtag sponsored versus non-sponsored content. Um, and actually what we saw was better performance of the sponsored content. So I don't think the platform's doing that. It's not in the algorithm making that sponsored content more visible. But I do think what's potentially happening there is influencers and creators might be putting a bit more effort into that content that they're getting paid for. Mm. So therefore it was getting higher engagement rates. There is discussions around whether that paid partnership tag has been impacting performance of content. But again, I, I don't think it's the paid partnership tag itself. It'll be about the content that yep. the creators or influencers are creating. Speaking, I guess, specifically about social media influencers and probably probably more what the average person thinks when you say influencer, what what would be your advice on like if you're a um, if you're a marketer sitting there kind of going yeah we should be doing it how do you go about identifying what a good influencer or you know someone who could be a good person to reach out to um, like what are the hallmarks of someone who you want to engage with Yeah, I think there's a number of sort of things to consider. Again, I'd say biggest is not always best, and the reason for that is the biggest influencers are in high demand. And with that comes quite high talent fees to, to engage. And you're only getting then a, you know, a couple of pieces of content. So, you know, you really are, you're at a high risk strategy there if you're putting all of your eggs in a, just a few baskets. And what we find is that if you can engage in what we call the long tail of influence, where we're looking at more smaller influencers, micro influencers that have highly engaged audiences, but they're able to tell a, you know, a very customized story to their audience that is more influential. And, and when we had sort of campaigns that we've run, so for example, we ran a campaign with a particular Dyson brand where they were able to sell the product through their platform and we were able to track sales um, through that. And I can tell you the smallest influencers sold a mm. lot more Dyson's. Yeah, so even just they don't have the same reach, but they've got higher engagement and they have higher influence. So that's probably the first thing I'd say. That's awesome, yeah. It's not just the biggest, it's actually thinking long tail. I mean, that's where, S, you know, why SEO, how SEO is so... <laughs> that's where my head went when you said long tail. Yeah. Shows, it, shows me it, off. <laughs> it's the same, right? So yeah. you know, the, the power is in the tail. So if you can find... Um, a lot of influencers that that have those sort of micro audiences, then then they can be really powerful for your brand. 
Um, it's then how you, how you manage them effectively because it does take a lot of time, which is why, you know, as an agency, we manage a lot of micro-influencer campaigns. We've got all the technology platforms that allows us to do that efficiently. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of what would I look for in an influencer, um, obviously, do are they influencing your target audience? So there, you, you need to be able to look into the analytics of their audiences. Yeah. And this is where you can't really rely necessarily on them telling you that. <laughs> so for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, you need to use first-party data tools. And there's heaps of them out there that, that that do it for you. We use one called Creator IQ, which is one of the biggest platforms that that kind of allows you to do that. And then you can manage those campaigns at scale. That's not always accessible to the small to medium-sized enterprise. Yeah. But there are some smaller ones out there. I think there's Strawberry Socials, there's Hype Auditor. I think something like Hype Auditor where you can put a profile in there um, and look at sort of more um, the analytics of their audiences, but they're, they're kind of more second party data. So they're kind of more using data that they've sort of scraped off the internet for yeah. that. Um, so anything that you can use, I think Kitly is another one, which actually allows you to get a, a media kit of an influencer. Yeah. So that's pulling all the data directly from the platform. So, you know, it's correct. Without um, giving away any IP, do these tools, would you be, like, are these tools also used to identify what, what might be a good influencer for your business? Or is it more yeah. just to verify once you've found someone that you think might be good? No. So you can, you can use them as, um search search for influencers so you can put in keywords you can put in categories you can put in um, some of them even allow you to look at content sort of styles and aesthetics so yeah there's a lot of detail that you can put into different tools to help you sort of get a short list and I'd say the other thing is some, sometimes it's good to just ask your customers who's influential to them hmm. right? because if someone's influential to the customers you've got, they're probably going to be influential to your future customers. So that's that's kind of the, the low technology version. <laughs> On the desktop of Instagram, if they'll always, underneath an influencer, they'll always have a list of influencers like them. So there's some really cost-effective ways that you can use around the tools that yeah. help you find without having to invest in, you know, particular search and discovery tools. I, I think there is a lot that you can actually do um, without them to, to find the influencers. That's awesome. Once, once you find one, you can find ones like them. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's great for um, listeners to the pod who might not necessarily have the budget and the, you know, to get whether to engage an agency like yours or to to pay the tech fees themselves. Yeah. If you could just talk about TikTok and what you're seeing, like it's such a fast moving environment. So I think it'd be fascinating to get I guess your um, outlook on kind of what's happening there and where you see it kind of going this year yeah it's not slowing down yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it is powering the influencer growth at the moment um, TikTok is it's a juggernaut it's it's just you know it's one of those um, platforms that we haven't seen anything like it. When I, I had an interview the other day and someone's like, what's it like? And I was like, we haven't seen anything like the growth, the engagement, the 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 kind of ecosystem of influencers on every possible, you know, content niche. Hmm. I saw a new one today. There's a new uh, trend, Grand Talk. 
So this is like a whole heap of grandmothers on TikTok. Um, <laughs> very engaging, wholesome content that, um, you know, everyone's there and yeah. everyone's influencing, right? So, and and then there's this kind of area, which is they call, it's even got its own hashtag, which is called TikTok made me buy, right? So people buying something and then creating content about it with the hashtag, you know, TikTok made me buy. Mm. So it's incredibly influential. And again, this is kind of where, I think influencers moved into more content creators and it became more entertainment-based, education-based rather than I think where Instagram influence began. It was very product placement. It wasn't necessarily entertaining or engaging. It was probably just beautiful styled yeah. content. The, the day of the flat lay. Yeah. Um, so much more engaging, much more educational content and in, and in fact, much more influential and an interesting anecdote where we actually had an event um, last week and we had a whole heap of TikTok creators there. They, they kind of talked about how their audiences engage in their content. And this is a, a I think it's a fashion TikToker. And she was talking about how that she was you know, just showcasing her morning, you know, what she does in the morning or just getting up and getting dressed. And she was making some toast and she started getting DMs from people going, hey, what sort of peanut butter do you use? So <laughs> there's incredible influence, but and, and she actually talked about it. She goes, Gen Z want to be sold to. And so it was really interesting because they're not engaging in advertising, but mm. they kind of want to know what these content creators are doing because they want to be influenced and because they're like, okay, we, that looks like a really great peanut butter. So you can influence me on that. What, mm. you know, this is not the content that they they're not there they weren't there to be influenced on peanut butter they're they were there to be influenced by fashion mm. but there's this kind of their lives are influencing people that's fascinating and do you are you because i guess from a paid ad perspective the outlook i guess from like a performance agency like ours is the content itself has to be fit for platform and um, it has yeah. to have that much more authentic and native kind of feel when, like you've said it a few times now, like Instagram probably felt a bit more beauty. It felt a bit, it's more visual. It, um, it feels more like an ad, but I, the, the feeling on yeah. TikTok is that it has to, you really struggle if you try to come in with a style or tone that is just not native to, to the platform. Is that what you'd agree yeah. with? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's very obvious when it isn't, it wasn't created by the platform and this is where. I think creators are the key because it's very difficult for brands to create their own content, stay up to date, stay relevant to the culture. And we often talk about influences are your connection to culture. Um, and, and because they're in it, right, they're immersed in it with a particular culture or a particular niche or a particular category, um, they are the ones that are much more um, likely to know what is relevant to their mm. audience and relevant to people who are interested in that particular category on that platform, right? Yeah. So it's you're much better to engage with creators to participate with them to create that story, create that authentic story yeah. around your brand. They understand that they understand their audience and they understand the platform and the tone and you know because I think that the point you made about Gen Z wanting to be sold to and we did a pod um, last year on on Gen Z with Katie Richardson from uni days and that generation is so savvy and their BS filter is so high and they either engage or just they smell something that isn't authentic yeah. straight away. 
It's um. I think you're right. They they want to be sold to, but they want to be sold to in their way. Yeah. So that's that's the difference, isn't it? Which is it's not like you know previous generations. Yeah, it's fascinating. What about just um quickly the the don'ts? Like, what are the those things that you just have to be wary of or just don't do? Um, obviously the 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 paid piece. I think that's an obvious one. If if you're paying or if you're giving away product, yeah. you know, disclose it. Um, any any other bits? You know, just those well, one on one types. Yeah, on that disclosure piece, I think. Don't engage with creators without the proper governance in place. And what I mean by that is, is have a contract. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you're just gifting product, um, you should have some really short contract, which basically just is an agreement between you and the creator that they will use the correct disclosure hashtags and you specify what they are. And, and if there obviously is a, is a payment, then there's a lot of things that go into a contract in terms of, the exclusivity periods, the um, obviously, as I said, the disclosures that you're expecting, the amounts of content that you're expecting, how long that content needs to stay live, by what frequency. So, you know, having a, a correct contractual agreement in place is really important. So don't engage without one. Yep, that's great. Don't try and control things too much. And I think this is where it's that kind of blending be, between kind of having a really good brief and having, again, those governance structures in place with creators, but don't tell them exactly what to do because then you're not getting the creativity. So you've got to, creators are going to create. So you've got to sort of also trust that you've selected good creators and, and give it over to them. And in regulated industries, we would always have, you know, approval of content before it's posted. Yeah. Uh, but not all industries we, we don't do that in because then you're missing that kind of dynamic sort of always on yeah. approach to the content. I said, don't, don't sort of just leave them to their own devices as well. Like they want brands to engage with them. So if you have your own platform, then they want you to post on their content to, to thank the visibly engage with them and thank them. So don't just kind of give them the product and brief them and, you know, well, and, and and treat them sort of as a transaction. Yeah. End of the day, they're people. They respond to relationships. They'll probably post more if you're engaging and participating with them. If you're going to engage in this space, it's it's as a brand become part of that participation as well. Yeah, and I imagine that just has to lead to better outcomes, right? Picking influencers genuinely like your product or service, and if that's the case, then you, it should be a natural kind of relationship, right? Back and forth. Well, that, I mean, that sort of is a good, that's a good piece as well. How do you find your influencers is also if, if, if influencers are engaging with your brand, then yeah. that's the best way. To find <laughs> um, awesome insights. Uh, that, you know, I was focusing on the negative there, but I, let's, we've got to leave this on a, on a, on a positive tone, Sharon. Um, yeah. What's, and I ask this of everyone that comes onto the pod, what's the best piece of career advice that you'd give to a marketer in Australia? Best piece of career advice we are looking for marketers that are full stack now. And I think obviously the what we're talking about today, the influence kind of space is part of that stack and really being curious and, and reading a lot and staying in touch with technology, with social media, with social influence. Like, so I think being curious and, mm. and staying up to date and, and thinking very, very full stack in terms of being able to understand every possible facet of marketing, I think is really important. Yeah, I love that. I think when we're hiring, we're, it's definitely a trait we look for is curiosity. 
because the our industry, your industry, the landscape changes so quickly, and we need to evolve, and we have to kind of want to learn and grow and all those those well, things, right? I think a good marketer is curious about people hmm. at the day. I think that's right. Awesome. So, and sorry, I lied. I said one more question, and I had two. The last question is, where can we find you? You can find me at um, Social Soup. Yep. So my agency, Social Soup, or um, the Influence Group, or if it is a specific question about the industry itself and you have any questions around regulation. Uh, so AIMCO, so the Australian Influencer Marketing Council, um, we can, there's a website and you can email in and, and, you know, we can get back to you on those questions. Sharon Smith, thanks so much for coming on to the Smarter Marketer podcast. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the Smarter Marketer podcast. Stay up to date about new episodes on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching for Smarter Marketer podcast. You can purchase your own copy of Smarter Marketer via the Amazon website. And if you want a second opinion about your business's approach to digital marketing, send me an email, jamesl at rocketagency.com.au or visit the rocketagency.com.au website. Thanks for your time.